Hi guys, welcome to the Footline Social Podcast. Um, we have got today uh, Elliot Gavin, who is the lead guitarist for the Led Zeppelin tribute band, Fred Zeppelin, or the Freds, which is an easy way to refer to them. Um, so yeah, so we'll get the obvious first question out the way um, and hopefully not have to reference it again, but I know we will. Um, Elliot, how has your lockdown been? Uh, well, it's it's been awful, really. Um I think as a working musician, um, it, it's, it, it couldn't have been worse. I think the rug got pulled from underneath myself and fellow musicians right from the start. Um, I've, I've managed to sort of um, bolster the gigging with uh, lots of students and session work and things that I've been able to do in the meantime. Um, working from home, teaching from home has been quite good. But yeah, we, we, are, we are missing gigs. We, we really are. We, we're sort of desperate to get back out and do it now. I think so. I think I've spoken to a lot of musicians about the lockdown and how it's affected them and everything else. Obviously, you're in a slightly different kettle of fish in that you can't sit at home and write like they like they've been able to. So it does make it a bit of a difference. Um, Absolutely. So how did you get started then? Not necessarily with um, with the Freds, but as a musician. I mean, how did how did that begin for you? Uh, well, my my journey was a bit of a weird one, really. Um, sort of, I was a bit of a tearaway as a youth. Um, not really up to much, um, and it was a bit of a, um, I was a bit of a pain in the neck growing up as a kid, to be honest. And sort of, I remember um, around 13, 14 years old, um, I got in a big old argument with my folks about what I was doing with my life and all the rest of it. Um, I remember going upstairs to have a big sulk, and I walked into my brother's room, and he was sitting there playing guitar. And I sort of, without really putting two and two together, I said to him, well, show me how to play that and I'll, I'll show my parents I can do something. Um, and he pretty much said, here's, here's a book, here's a guitar, go knock yourself out. I haven't really got time. He was, a, he was an academic sort, really. Um, and yeah, like, I remember one evening, it was a Beatles book. And I, I, we'd, we'd studied the Beatles at school either that day or that week or something. So something was fresh in my mind. But I pretty much learned the whole of this book. There must have been like, 12, 15 songs in it. Um, similar chord, nothing too too challenging, but like chord changes and things that, you know, yeah. but it was just the sheer determination just to stick one up the parents, basically. <laughs> but like, just wanted uh, to grab onto and say, look, I can do this. Absolutely, yeah. And like, it, it was it was a couple of hours and like a, a really determined, managed to get through a couple of songs and knew I could sort of bash my way through the most of it. And I went downstairs in, in a, a fit of rage and sort of, threw the book on the coffee table and said, pick one, I'll play it. And so my dad opened the book and said, play this. And so I did. And he's like, okay, play this one. And like, very, like, it, it, I think the penny dropped for them quicker than it did for me. But I suddenly start to realize, hang on a minute, I, I can sort of do this. Like the shapes and the patterns on the instrument sort of made sense. Um, and then from there, I was like, well, maybe there's something in this. Maybe there's something I can um, grab and ball with this. And yeah, very, very quickly, I, I, I was playing um, the guitar at school. Um, teachers sort of were pushing me in a direction away from being a troublemaker to being <laughs> in like the, the choir, school choir, playing on school concerts and such. Um, I got my first taste of playing live at school and all the rest of it. And yeah, that was it really. Um, oddly enough, it was um, probably a year or two later. And my auntie said, oh, if, if you like music, and you like playing guitar you need to go and see fred zeppelin and so her and my dad uh, took me to uh, it was a schofield pub in great bar 
Um, <laughs> I think it's now. It's, it's, that's it's, the weirdest it's, thing because this is the the oddest situation. Honestly, I literally live a hundred yards away from where the Schofields pub used to be. Oh, really? I kid you not. Yeah, this is where, where I'm literally sat right now. But anyway, <laughs> carry on. It's a it's a buffet island now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've I've not been in there since, but but yeah. So um, I I was dragged along and I was very young and impressionable at the time, and it was a very hot, very sweaty room, very loud. But I was absolutely blown away. I was like, "Who's Fred? Can I meet him?" Sort of thing. Um, and my dad collared the guitar player uh, Keith Jenkins, and um, he said, "Oh, my my son's playing. Is there anything you can sort of any tips you can give him?" And he said, oh, go and learn some pentatonic scales and such and such, which is useful for us guitar players. Um, and I sort of took that as like the Bible. And um, yeah, like I, I would go and see them sort of religiously at that venue that was like my local haunt. Um, and pretty much from there, that spurred me on to be like, that's what I want to do with myself. Um, I want to be on stage playing music. If it's Led Zeppelin, that'll be brilliant. <laughs> wow, it's so weird that that's what started it off and then obviously you ended up. So perfect segue into that then. How did you end up playing for them? So, um, yeah, I, I, I progressed pretty quickly in the early years. Um, I think one of the, the biggest skills I have probably next to the next to another guitar player is, is my ears. I can hear stuff pretty and, and play it pretty quickly. And I used that to my advantage to learn stuff. I couldn't read any music at the time. Um, but it meant that I could listen to something, play it to a reasonable enough standard, and then I was able to teach other people. So um, I was actually um, teaching a Saturday morning class at my old school. Uh, and I was teaching the old bass player's son how to play guitar. Uh, and he he popped in one day and said, "Do you play much guitar, uh, much bass guitar?" And I sort of, as a a jobbing musician at the time, I'd be like, "Yeah, sure," sort of thing. And he said, "Do you fancy depping for the Freds?" And I was like, "This needs to happen." So I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. Anything I need to do." Uh, and um, I borrowed his gear, like I borrowed his bass guitar and his amp and everything, and learned all the material. And um, they don't. They haven't depped a gig out before. It's not that sort of band. It's like, you know, it's those four guys and they do their thing and it's all good. Yeah. So I, I put the hours in. I mean, I, uh, from growing up listening to the Freds and working out that actually Led Zeppelin was the real lineup, um, I'd learned all the guitar parts, but I hadn't learned the bass parts. I spent some time doing that, um, getting that under my fingers. Uh, we went for one rehearsal. We were headlining the Wolfram. Um, yeah. It was a triple header with two other uh, tribute bands. So it's like a big, big pressure gig. And I was the the, the lucky soul to take on a, a depth kick with that. And yeah, like we hit it off straight away. Um, we did, they actually gave us two shows um, before that, uh, sort of warm up gigs for the Wolfram. And um, yeah, we hit it off straight away. And then pretty much after that gig, the bass player called me up and said, look, I've been in that band for many, many years. I'm, I'm thinking I'm knocking on the head. Do you want the gig? And I was like, yes, yes, please. Um, roll on maybe eight or seven or eight years and like that it sort of gets a bit hazy now um but then the original guitar player retired and so of course being a guitar player i was like well i'll i'll take that slot then and i got a very good friend of mine mark creswell in on bass guitar um just because i knew that i was going to wanted to take the uh, the guitar slot up and and that's all she wrote and there we are I mean, I can imagine that that's been something that you probably looked over 
for a bit going, oh, I wonder if I'd ever get to, you know, move over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, um, growing up as a young guitarist, I was like heavily into like the 70s sort of stuff. So like your Led Zeppelins and your ACDCs and that sort of thing. Um, lots and lots of Jimi Hendrix. Um, I, I took I took the guitar very, very seriously. I was like, if it's something that I was half decent at, I wanted to make sure I did it properly. So I followed the roots. I studied at school. I went to college for two years. Um, I went to the London's Guitar Institute. I, did, I was there for five years um, doing re- recording stuff. I ended up doing some uh, session work down there as well, recording like TV adverts and bits and bobs like that. So I was very much like the academic sort. Um, but I was looking over at Keith playing on that side of the stage, and I was like, geez, how does he do that? <laughs> at the end of every gig, I was like, how, how do you play that bit? Can you show me how to do that? Um, and I think to this day, I mean, of course, it was it was a very abrupt change, to be honest. Um, it was very, very quickly me stepping into the bass role and then very quickly stepping into the the, the guitarist role. It, it sort of happened ov- overnight, albeit a couple of years apart. Um, so, yeah, it was a very ab- abrupt change. So there's a lot of um, Jimmy Page's sound in there, because obviously that's where the licks and things come from. Yeah. Uh, there's an awful lot of Keith's licks in there as well, uh, because that's sort of how the band know all the cues and things. Um, I think that's the wonderful thing about, about Zeppelin, really. Um, it lends itself quite well to, to my style of, of guitar playing, where you've got your riffs and licks that you need to play so it, so you recognise what the song is. Um, and then, of course, there's the moments in between where anything can happen and everybody's got to keep their eyes and ears open. Um, and that's that's it just makes every night different. It makes every night fun because we all get to have a laugh on stage and hopefully the crowd gets to have a laugh as well. Um, it's a weird thing because I think Zeppelin are a band like that. They have different... Um, there's various different tracks where they do tend to have a meander and you can go off and you can do other things. Does that help yeah. relieve? I mean, I, I suppose it's one of the one of the questions about being in a tribute band or even just being in a band that obviously gets to play their own material over a number of years. Do you get to the point where you need that bit of your own sort of input and your own bits of sort of invention without it becoming sort of tedious? It's a horrible word to use, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so my my main job is a session musician, so I get hired to do all sorts of bits and bobs. Um, I've literally come back from the studio today, um, a rare occasion during lockdown, but um, recording new material for an artist over in Wolverhampton. Um, and that's quite cool because you get to sort of inject a bit of creativity there. But you're absolutely right. When, when you do play um, songs week in, week out, um, it's, it's, it's one of those moments where um, you find yourself drawing from like the inspiration from the original artist. And then you see how it evolves over time. So we play, um, me and Mark uh, also have a function band. We go and do like weddings and parties and things like that. The party project, if you needed to know. Um, we, uh, good plug, plug away, plug away. <laughs> we, we do like um, uh, parties and functions and things. And of course, you've got the standard floor fillers and this, that and the other. And it's very difficult in that environment to put your own... Um, taste and flavor into it you've got to play like the record and of course you, there's a little twist and things you can do but it's very much this is the song they want to hear that's what they get so with the frets um of course we get to play these absolutely monstrous classic rock songs um and then within a, within that framework there's all this space that we can put our own thing in 
Um, and I do sort of, I worry sometimes because as a musician, you tend to get like lost in the moment sometimes. So you, you're, you're away playing like your Jimmy Page part and it goes into these abstract moments or whatever. And I, I worry coming off stage that I put too much of myself in that or am I stealing too much of somebody else's ideas and it's not Jimmy Page anymore? And, but I think that's part of the charm that, you know, it, it is it is me playing. And I'm part of the, the charm of Fred Zeppelin, I think, um, is that the band is as much a fan of the music as the audience is. So it's not like we're on stage pretending to be Led Zeppelin. Yeah. We are on stage enjoying the music with the audience. I think that's a that's a big thing that we have um, going forward and moving forward. I think, I, think by the sound of, I think most people would prefer that rather than kind of some photo kit costumed up like yeah. the monkey's version of Led Zeppelin um, that doesn't really sound right but looks the business. You know, that's not really what you want out of a gig, is it, particularly? Absolutely. Yeah, so we... Um, I, I've been a part of outfits that have dressed up for the night and, you know, put the outfits on and all the rest of it. Um, Fred's up in a very much not that kind of thing. We, like I say, it is just a, an appreciation of the music really. And then, and it, with that, it's like, there's, there are moments when um, you're playing a song and you sort of can't believe that you're playing it in front of people because you're enjoying it as much as they are, as opposed to we're clocking in, We've got to play Abba tonight, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. a very different scenario. <laughs> so you, you haven't got like a sequin dragon jumpsuit there, just in case? Not for stage, no. <laughs> That's just for Thursday nights, doesn't come out. Yeah. Just for fun, just for fun. <laughs> so we can't, obviously Led Zeppelin being sort of who they are anyway, um, obviously they were an impact for you because of getting to see Fred and figuring it out from there. Um, yeah. But... Do you get the chance to kind of do you listen to them in the same way as you maybe used to before being with the Freds, or is it a different thing now? Um, that's a great question. Um, there was there was a period of like my early years of guitar playing, and I'm I'm not exaggerating when I say this. It was probably a stint of about five years or so, where it was pretty much nothing but Led Zeppelin like super super heavy just listening to just nothing but them of course there was other influences going on but something about jimmy page his guitar playing and his music and just really resonated with me um so listening to it back then um i felt really really comfortable that walk, coming to an instrument to a guitar i could replicate what he was doing and and, and all that these days um there, there are few and far occasions where I would put Led Zeppelin on to listen to and it's not for any other reason other than playing this music for the amount of time that we played it I mean I've, I've been in that lineup now for 10 years um of course those songs have evolved and they've they've turned into sort of the Fred Zeppelin version um just as it would naturally and I, I sort of worry that if I was to listen to the original that it would I would, I would forget how to do the bit I'm supposed to do. <laughs> but yeah, there are, there are totally occasions now where I would um, I would stick Dazed and Confused on just to get that lick right or listen to House of the Holy just to work out how which guitar part am I going to play this this time. And, I suppose yeah, you'd probably feel that it was pulling you back away from where, because you, you need to, I imagine as a band, you need to take it, as you say, you need to have the Fred's version of it. You need to pull it to a very slightly different place because if you if you were turning up just playing it as on the on the record, you'd 
lose your minds. I think slowly. Yeah, I think so. We don't. We we don't want to. We 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 make a conscious effort to not play it note for note. So we are, like I say, we are enjoying the music. We're playing the, the music of Led Zeppelin as a as a fan would. Um, so yeah, there are definitely occasions where we sort of go back and listen just to reference parts. But there's things like um, certain tracks just don't work live, um, whether they have like fade outs or multiple guitar parts or whatever. So of course you have to adapt them for like live use. Yeah. Um, just trying to think of one. Uh, we do when the levee breaks. Yeah. Um, so on on stage, I, I've got the luxury of having three guitars with me. Uh, there's the main one, which does like the meat and potatoes of the gig. There's a spare guitar that does um, like the violin bow stuff. Um, the the resin on the bow wrecks the strings, so it will do like that song, and then it's you got to put and it that's down. It. You're gonna, oh man. <laughs> yeah. And then there's one more that I use for like altered tunings and things like that. Um, and what I tend to do is, is bring all three along every single gig. Um, and then our bass player, Mark, he writes the set list and we, we don't know what we're playing until the night, basically. Um, which is fun. And honestly, we do the majority of their back catalog these days. Um, which is fun to rock up and not know what you're playing. It's a, it's an exciting thing. Um, but of course, along with that, it's, you know, we, we get to have a different set list week in, week out as well. Obviously, you, you have the classics in there, but you get to play some really cool and some, some more of the obscure stuff as well, I think. I was going to say, because obviously there is a range. I was going to say to you, what is there, um, is there like an era of Zeppelin or an album or even, you know, like favorite track or whatever? Is there, is there a, a section of Zeppelin that you prefer to play or does it just chop and change as seasons change or, you know, you change? I, I would say it changes, yeah. So um, I think we all have like a like a little niche that we like the most. I think Blackie, our drummer, is a big Zep 2 fan. So he, anything of Zeppelin 2, he, he loves playing. Um, Trez, uh, uh, Mark, our bass player, he's very much sort of the later stuff. Um, so like the even more obscure type, type material that you, you probably won't recognise as Led Zeppelin. Um, I think... I'm I'm a huge physical graffiti fan. Yes, I, I, I love that one. Uh, pretty much anything on that is gold to me. Uh, but like, there's, I think my favourite track to play live is "Since I've Been Loving You." Um, it's probably the greatest recording ever from Zeppelin III, um, and I try and do it justice every time we play it, and <laughs> I almost get there. <laughs> I think it's got that really yeah, so great that, sort of. Uh, it's almost like a chilling opening almost. It's very, that, that you, you've got to nail that as the guitarist to get it straight out the out the box. Otherwise it just falls apart, doesn't it? I imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. There, there are, um, like I say, and, and sometimes it will come up in the set um, in, a, in an awkward place where like there might be a guitar change or something. So of course our single take to the mic and, and talk to the crowd and, you know, the old meet and greet and all the rest of it. And I'm sort of getting prepared and getting tuned up and then it's that song. So there's a lot of, um, pressure just to get that those first few notes right, um, but I love it. That's that's part of the charm. And even like um, having a slightly different intro leading into something like that can be quite cool. Just like play like some bluesy licks, get people in the mood, and then bust that those first few notes out. People soon know what you're playing. I was just saying, I was just about to say it's instantly recognisable. It's almost like yeah, you could hear a pin drop the second that 
drops, you'd probably be like, oh, here we go, there we go. Absolutely. But I suppose it's one of those where that's you You maybe need to find the challenges elsewhere from what, uh, say, a regular band might have. Um, so rather than, oh, this is my newest thing that I've come out with or I've put a lot into the writing of this, you've got, well, you're emulating the greatest guitarist potentially ever. So you've got those high-pressure moments, like you say, that's going to give yeah. you something to to sort of give you something to go against, I suppose. Absolutely, yeah. So, like I say, Jimmy Page, even he, he's one of my fa- favorite guitar players ever. Um, I think he would even say he has his moments where he's not the greatest guitarist on the planet. He plays less with technique and more with emotion, which I think goes a long way when you're you're playing those sorts of songs. Um, to replicate what he does in any aspect in on any song is difficult. Um, I've had to find my own little way around it, really, because um, there's just no way to play like Jimmy Page. It's it's, it's his own thing. You can't copy that. Um, but yeah, to try and it, it's a different sort of uh, task to try and emulate those sorts of things and take on that role. As I say, like you say, it's more of um, because it's more of a like an emotional kind of guitarist rather than it's you know. I suppose it's like actual cooking rather than, you know, like baking where you've got to be very specific and scientific with your approach. It's much more absolutely sort of free and easy. Um, so you mentioned about the three different guitars. So how does your equipment work? Like g- give us a breakdown. What, what three do you have? Like, you know, pedals and, and obviously the bow and everything else. It must be quite a, quite a kit bag. Yeah, it was, um, like I say, I, I've sort of been like a job in session musician from the off really. Um, almost stumbling into from from one gig to the next um so I, I started with very little gear and ended up borrowing the bass player's rig um he eventually sold it to the band of which i then bought back over the, the next couple of years while we were gigging with it um with the electric guitar stuff um i'd got a couple of guitars at the time i was, I was working as a session musician at the time yeah um but i didn't have a les paul and you pretty much can't play Zeppelin without a Les Paul. So yeah. uh, I was on the hunt for something that would work, that would work live. And uh, Keith very, very generously lent me a Les Paul for the first couple of shows I did. Uh, and it was the Jimmy Page custom Les Paul. Nice. Um, which was, yeah, it was a bit magical playing that. Um, so I, I was on the quest to get my own, basically. And I found um, a early 90s les paul studio um it's got um it's got just a lack of finish there's no paintwork on it so you can just see the wood on it so it's quite striking to look at you don't see those around very often um but it's absolutely battered <laughs> it's uh it's seen some hours i mean i've been in that like i say i've been in that band for 10 years now it's done every single gig on in that band wow. um, and every part of that guitar needs replacing so I basically use it as like if a string brain. I'm, I'm quite a light guitar player. Um, I can get away with using quite a heavy plectrum because I, I play quite soft and I never break strings. So um, it's only there in case of an emergency, but it gets used with the bow. Um, yeah. When you use the violin bow on the strings, the resin sits on, on the string and sort of dulls the sound. So you'll get maybe a song out of it, maybe two if you're at a push. Um, but yes, as soon as the bow goes on it, I tend to, to put it down and put it away again. Um, a couple years into 
me being the guitarist with the Freds, um, I bought a Les Paul Classic, um, which, like I say, that's that's the one that does everything. Um, There isn't a tone that Zeppelin do that I can't get with that guitar. It's got a few tricks in it where you can split humbuckers up um, so they sound like single coils. You you can get like stratty, almost telly sounds out of it. Um, And then obviously it's got the full-blown Les Paul sound in it as well. Yeah. Like Zepp 2 onwards, basically. Um, and yeah, so that's that pretty much is the guitar that I will grab in, under any conditions. That's that's the one I'll go through. Um, and then I use a Fender Tele to do the alter tunings. So it's set up predominantly for things like cashmere. Um, so it's sitting on stage ready for that. And Jimmy Page uses what's called a dadgad tuning. Um, so it sits in that predominantly, really. Um, there's a uh, there's a PRS in the works at the minute, which I'm working on to put some more slide guitar work in there. Um, but obviously with lockdown and everything, new tracks and new ideas have sort of been put to one side. We're just trying to get things rolling again at the moment. Um, so amp wise, so uh, yeah, so guitar wise then uh, pedal wise, um, I, I bought a load of pedals over the years. I'm sure every guitarist suffers from this, but um, being a guitar, a guitar player, you have to buy pedals apparently. Yeah. Um, th- there's your obligatory tuners and wah pedals and things like that. Um, I use a phaser as well. Um, and that's pretty much the things that I would lean on for a gig like that. Um, but they're used as color. Hopefully that makes sense. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like the, the sound of the guitar. And then, um, I can pretty much do everything I need the guitar to do just by turning the volume down or, or twisting the tone pop or playing somewhere different or whatever. Yeah. And that's ten, that tends to be how I learned to play. I couldn't afford decent amplifiers back in the day. So I would get something cheap and battered, crank it as loud as I could, and then just learn to control it with the guitar. But over the years, I've, I've managed to scrimp and save and, and buy some tidy pedals. So there's a few of the bits, tricks on there, like um, delay pedals and this, a little bit of reverb. Um, some boosts and things like some I've got a tube screamer that I would use for like a, a slightly different voice whether it be like a heavier section or something that needs a bit more gnarled to it or that, te- that tends to be the way to go um, and amp wise um, initially when I joined the Freds it was a perfect excuse to buy a new amp yeah well um, you'd, you'd have to wouldn't you that's how you rationalize it absolutely absolutely that's, that's what I told the missus anyway so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I, um, being the, the, the session musician as well, I didn't want to buy something that sort of had me pigeonholed. I wanted something that's, that's quite versatile. Yeah. Um, so I bought an orange dual terror, uh, which I still have to this day. Um, absolutely fantastic bit of kit. Um, it, it does everything. Your, your sweet soft cleans to your barking crunch to like screaming lead. It does everything. Um, that has seen the majority of the Zeppelin gig. Uh, but very recently, I've got into Victory amplifiers. Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm using a BD1 at the minute, and then I run that into two 1x12 cabs. There's a, a, a Creamback and a Vintage 30, just for just eternal stuff, really. Um, and I run that. It's not loud, but I, I run it quite hot. Um, I'm quite a quiet guitar player compared to the next guitarist. Yeah. Um, our, our singer wouldn't say that, but I am. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I like, have something to say, though, don't know that's a thing. 
Absolutely. It just stands too close. That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so um, I try and I try and have um, the most efficient equipment. So I buy small amps, small speakers, that sort of thing. And I try and make it do the best job it can. So amplifiers work best when they're, when they're loud. Um, it's like trying to drive a car in first gear. You want to get it up into fifth at some point. You know, and that's pretty much what I get my amplifiers to do. And then the guitars do the rest, really. So. As I say, you want to let it open itself up a little bit, otherwise you can you never yeah, you never get the best out of an ambulance while it's on its quietest settings. So absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a there's a trick that I learned uh, with the Freds. Uh, being in Fred Zeppelin was a massive learning curve because not only was it Jimmy Page's shoes to fill, um they would they well uh, currently they're on twenty-seven years of running, so they've got a quite a following at the moment. And in and around the scene, I, I think other bands have heard of Fred Zeppelin as well. So, of course, when we go to a venue and like sound guys have heard of Fred Zeppelin or, or even done the sound for Fred Zeppelin when I've not been in the band and sort of have that sort of um, relationship with the band anyway, they all sort of tell me things that I, that I wouldn't have known. For example, getting away with less gain on an amp um, is quite useful. Um, a lot of the time, guitarists will plug into an amplifier and just have it screaming loud because it sounds like rock and roll. Yeah, Live, yeah. It doesn't work like that. It's got to be like very quite clean almost. And when you listen to Jimmy Page, especially like Zeppelin one, um, it's just loud. It's not distorted. Of course, there's like a crunch there, but it's incredibly clean and incredibly bright, like a really, really shrill, almost offensively bright sound. Um, but he just, was able to command that like nothing, you know. Um, so yeah, I've, I've tried really hard to, to to get the right tones out of the uh, the instrument. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> well, I think that's one of the things where, like you say, when you don't want to, you don't want to make it sound like note for note like you've just put like the you know the vinyl on or the the CD on or whatever. But obviously, mm. you can't get too far away from the tones because that's. That's the Absolutely. core of it, isn't it? You want to know what you're hearing, even if you're not sure, say what track it is, or whatever, but you know exactly that it's Zeppelin. Absolutely, yeah. So there, there are things like, because um, like push comes to shove, I would say I'm more of a PRS guy than a Gibson guy. Um, but you can't do a Zeppelin gig without a Les Paul. You, you just can't. You could probably get away with the telly for the early stuff, but it needs to be that like iconic image of that, you know, that's low slung Les Paul. Um, and there are moments where you have to play certain songs and when you when you see the song in the set list, you think, right, I need to be on this pickup at this position and like I need to be here with this pedal or this, you know, there's a certain choreography that goes into it to get that tone, to get that sound. Um, but yeah, you, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fine line between putting, like it's important for me as a musician to put my own stamp on it as well. Yeah. It's definitely a, an element of that in there. What well, this is going to be um, a slightly involved question, but so it sounds kind of like you almost started in the same vein as Jimmy did himself in the sense of obviously you came from the session world and was not necessarily a reluctant like band member, but obviously with his like, early health issues and stuff and not necessarily wanting to tour and everything else. But how do you feel like the session world has informed your ability to play in a band and play live and kind of like vice versa do you carry bits of information over from one world to the other absolutely yeah so um when i got into session work again it was through a friend of a friend of a friend um 
there was a there was a gig going um that a band was contractually obliged to to accomplish i think it was like there was 10 gigs or something um and the guitarist from the band and the singer had fallen out um so there was a big breakup and they needed to do these shows so they, they just threw me into um so I, I was thrust into an environment with professional musicians doing a professional gig getting paid money you know all this sort of stuff mm-hmm. um and the part of the charm of that was that um i knew that i knew the one guy in the group and i didn't know anybody else um, and my job there was to sort of play these songs entertain these people everyone claps goes home everyone's happy but sort of very quickly it was obvious to me that the my my job was to be invisible so what i mean by that is um when you do one of these functions or what or whatnots the audience isn't necessarily there to look at you on stage they just want to hear your music dance yeah. the night away have a few drinks have some fun then go home you're, you're not there to be or that you're there to just provide the music so if you're invisible to the the band in uh, sorry if you're invisible to the audience in a sense that like you're just providing this music and you're ticking that box you've, you've sort of won the gig that's that's your goal you, you provide the music you put on a show everybody claps everybody goes home happy but the next level to that is if you can fool the the audience into thinking that you're the original member of the band, <laughs> then all of a sudden the band looks better for it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. My my main goal doing session work in the early days was to try and make it look like that I was always there in the band. I was never a depth. I was always the guitarist in that band. It was always my place to be there. Um, and then very, very quickly from that point, it, my next job was to convince the band so that they thought that I was there all the time. And then all of a sudden this sort of, this very strange thing happened where I was learning to communicate with other musicians without having to speak to them. So eye contact cues and nods and these sorts of things, it was becoming second nature. And that is a huge thing for the Freds. So just to be able to look over at the bass player and just to give that nod as if to say something's happening, be ready. And, and he be able to be on top of that um, to hear cues and to be able to do things like that's quite important. Um, yeah, just that whole that whole vibe of like communicating and having that organic thing. With the function stuff, it's less so because once you have the song and the the arrangement, you just click play and go. With yeah. the threads, it's very like you know, if we didn't have that communication, it would die very very quickly, um, and it would be obvious to everybody that something's happened that <laughs> isn't supposed to happen. Well, I think um, it's one of those you don't want to have a situation where you're watching, sort of well. Obviously, we'd set in like four separate musicians that just happen to be trying to play the same song. You need that ethos, don't you? That kind of Absolutely. continuity. Yeah. So that, that again, that whole idea of like um, you could just put a band together to play a function and it work. If if they're good enough musicians, they could get up and play and it'll be okay. But like this this idea of having these levels to it, so like convincing the audience that it's an actual band that's been going for years is the first thing and convincing the band that you're meant to be there um me and mark of blimey we were we we met in college sort of 18 19 years old and we have pretty much the exception of a couple of years maybe when i moved to london uh being in a band the whole way through um he's one of the few musicians on the planet that, that i can sort of not even look at and still give a cue to like we we almost have this psychic thing going on yeah and then with blackie our drummer um 
it's the same thing. He he will just sort of the way he moves, the way he plays, the way he'll do something will be obvious to me and and Mark as well that something's about to happen and we can sort of make music out of that. And the beauty there is because we're friends and we've got that relationship, that comes across on stage as well. So we can have fun with that. We can throw stupid things in and have a laugh and and try quirky things and new things and whatever it might be. And we're getting off on that because it's 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 good for us being musicians doing so. And then, of course, the audience see us having fun and then they have fun with that as well. And it's this sort of cyclical thing where they're having a good time, we have a good time, so they have a good time, so we have a good time. You know? Yeah, it's like the, the best version of a vicious circle that you can get, isn't it? Kind of like, yeah. like ever-increasing circles of, of everybody enjoying the same thing, I suppose. Um, so we've kind of covered, obviously, what it's like for you on stage in terms of the performance and how that goes but how do you feel the scene is um because obviously you're pretty much one of the premier tribute bands but does it still feel a little bit sort of underplayed in the sense of you know oh it's it's only a tribute band because i've read through some older reviews and the guy was saying that oh one of his mates had suggested going along and he thought it'd be like a good laugh is it almost that there's a lesser expectation for people coming to see you or is it more because they're coming to see Led Zeppelin and they're expecting it to sound note for note? Do you know what I mean? Is there two sort yeah. of worlds to it? The, yeah, absolutely. I think um, back in the day when Fred Zeppelin first started, to my knowledge, there wasn't many tribute bands around. I don't think tribute bands was a thing at the time. Um, they sort of had this idea to put some... Um, covers together and while they were jamming they they all realized they liked zeppelin and that's all she wrote sort of thing um and then as the sort of tribute scene grew uh, more and more bands sort of took it upon themselves to sort of emulate their favorite bands and then therefore this tribute scene came out of nowhere mm-hmm. um when i go and see other tribute acts there's very much a sense of you, you're going to see let's say an oasis tribute you want to see oasis on stage you want to hear the classics you want to you know hear hear what you hear on the record have a good time go home with led zeppelin and i've seen a a few led zeppelin tribute bands um led zeppelin tends to have a very um and i mean it's in an an affectionate way like a very anorak audience where the the fans love it they absolutely love it um in my early days of being the guitarist with zeppelin um i would get people in the crowd telling me what version of what song i was playing and i was like blimey like these guys love this you know this is not just music to them it's it's like a way of life almost yeah zeppelin stuff i think it's you do get people coming along because they like zeppelin um you also get people coming along because um their partner like Zeppelin um, and and everything in between. But I think in my experience, people that come to a Zeppelin show love Led Zeppelin. Like it's not just a let's have a fun night out. It's like Led Zeppelin are playing, drop everything, let's go and see them, which is a wonderful thing to experience. Um, We do as much as we can to, it's not possible at every venue, but where we can, we try and make sure we're on the door saying hi to people, um, you know, the whole meet and greet and everything like that. Not just because we're there and we're in the way, but like 
we are fans as well. We we love this music, and we you know we, it's almost like a family. You know, we we see some people on, on at certain gigs. We see certain people on every gig, um, and it's just a wonderful thing to to be a part of. Um, I don't get that same sort of vibe with other tribute acts. Not to say that that's not the case, but definitely Zeppelin is very much a it's, it's a way of life, I suppose. Well, that's a really nice way to put it, because I was going to ask you that, whether I didn't know how to phrase it so eloquently to say, because like, I was, it does come across, I mean, I'm a huge Zeppelin fan anyway, um, hence Rob suggested, obviously, that we do this interview. Um, but to, it does tend to attract or look like it attracts the kind of much more um, very, very small detail. I mean, I can imagine that, you know, you get people coming to want to play your bootlegs and say, oh, have you heard them do this version of this song at this gig or whatever else? So obviously, I've, with, I've been handed a lot of bootlegs over the years. I've, I've got well stacks and stacks of CDs of like, have you heard this version from this gig at this year? Well, it's because I never realised that, that how much, I mean, obviously I knew what bootlegs were. Um, yeah. I think when I was much younger, I got the idea that it was just a way of getting sort of a recording of a band so like you go to the gig but as a little bit of an added bonus you would have the recording and that was it but though no, it's obviously the, the scene when it comes to zeppelin is just next level um and the, there's guys that review i think there's a guy that's got a website that reviews them as to you know the quality of the recording on the technical okay. side as much as the actual band and all that sort of stuff um so do you find it difficult to sort of play to one end of the spectrum to the other so you, as you say there's going to be much more casual fans that are there because their partner's a fan and whatever and then you've got yeah. the other guys that are going to be like oh we, that, that that note's a little bit sharper or whatever you know what i mean absolutely i think like right from the off i, I have to lump myself in with the anorak here like uh, i'm very much one of those people that um i just i love it so much it's so ingrained in in what I do and who I am really. Um, Cause like being a musician isn't just like a hobby. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a way of my life. You know, that's how I earn a living. That's how I get up in the morning. It's how I go, it's how I relax. It's how I have fun. It's how I vent. It's, it's everything, you know? Yeah. And Led Zeppelin was such a big part of that, um, that I think I'm probably one of the biggest anoraks at the venue. So it's not a problem playing to that crowd. Cause when they come and tell me, Oh, you, you played this lick from this album, but this lick from another album and such and such. That's cool. I'm all, I'm, I'm well yeah. up for that. And for those that want to come along, um, and have just a good time because they think a gig's on, absolutely awesome because we have a good time too. For those that come, uh, because their partners have dragged them out of the house, um, that's exactly my missus. So, <laughs> yeah. so she's a, she's a Zeppelin fan. She doesn't enjoy Led Zeppelin. Um, but she, she came to the, um, a few gigs back in the day just because I was there. And I think, you know, she had a good time too. So I think we, I think we do our best not to, to, to cater for both ends of the spectrum, but because of what we do is so accessible. If you like Led Zeppelin, you're going to love the show. If you're, if you like live music, you're going to love the show. And I think those are the only sorts of people that would come to the Led Zeppelin gig, hopefully. Because it sounds like from what you were saying, that kind of fed into sort of this is that the the sort of the, the camaraderie and the the kind of vibe that you guys have will carry over regardless. I think it's one of those situations where whether you've heard the music before or not, or you know what's going to be coming or not, you get that sense from a band right away that you're going to be sort of, oh, this could be good because they're, you know, you can see that you're having a laugh with it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, there's a there's a brilliant dynamic on stage. Um, Stephen Gale, our singer, is a, a fantastic frontman. Um, so very natural, uh, so very talented at sort of knowing the points where he can jump in and out of character almost because he's he's not playing Robert Plant, but obviously his his role is to do Robert Plant's bit. Yeah. Um, and of course, when there's things like, I don't know guitar changes or uh, I don't know, amp settings or whatever it is. Some, something might happen. He's very good at sort of getting onto that. And of course, because he's been doing it so long now and people come and see us time after time, there is this sort of banter from him to the audience and he can just be like almost conversational with people rather than, hi, we're Fred Zeppelin. It's, hey guys, how you doing? And oh, great to see you again. And, and it's, there's, a, there's a, a very wonderful sort of family feeling where we're all there together, right? I was going to say, you must have, as you say, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of people that come and see you regular enough that you probably know them by sight and stuff by now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we've made some very, very good friends over the years. Um, and that's, that's a part of the, why lockdown has been so rough really, because that's been the connection that we've had. I mean, we, we gig, um, quite heavily, really. Um, I, I probably do maybe three to four shows a week without COVID. Um, yeah. And Zeppelin caters for like once. We, we probably do like three a month, something like that. Um, we might have like the odd Friday away. It tends to be a Friday night. Um, so yeah, the pe- people that come to these go uh, these shows that we see week in, week out, we, we've become very, very close to. Um, and lockdown has been difficult to not have that sort of connection so yeah how do you feel about venues because one of the things that i kind of obviously we're, we're kind of as i sort of mentioned as to where i live we're sort of a local um sort of website and podcast and stuff um and we talk to a lot of local musicians about the scene that they're in how do you feel it works is there enough venues of the right sizes is it, like you say is there enough to keep you gigging sort of once every two to three weeks that sort of thing yeah so we, we've got quite a nice circuit um, mapped out these days. Um, Blackie, Steve Black, our drummer, does all the booking for us. Um, and w- because of his, the, the longevity of the band, we've sort of carved out quite a nice circuit that we do. Um, in regards to the, the venues that we play, we, we play some absolutely fantastic places, really, really awesome, awesome places. Is there enough? Um, I don't think there'll ever be enough live music venues really um we have found that we are playing certain working men's clubs and social clubs like that um and not because we that's um that's a negative thing we love playing they're absolutely fantastic but like there's nothing like having like a big stage and like a sound system designed for the room like a proper venue um we found that to try and keep space between venues we, we try and have like a six month rotor on a venue if, if at all possible. So we try and make a circuit whereby we don't play anywhere local to these venues. And that ultimately means that we sometimes will play a big venue, sometimes we'll play a social club, sometimes we'll play a little pub. Um, but yeah, we, we're, there can always be more live venues. I think. Well, I suppose that's the kind of band, like you're the kind of band that's going to find that a bit more. You're going to see those sort of little, not like 
idiosyncrasies or little issues and stuff that maybe artists that are sort of starting out and picking up gigs here, there and everywhere, because it's a bit more of a scattergun approach for them, then maybe not going to see the continuity. But I suppose with you guys, with just the longevity of how long you've been doing it rather than anything else. Um, yeah. So how do you feel? I mean, you don't want to put anything on it, but hopefully, um, you know, it's hope that lockdown and COVID and everything else hasn't killed off too many. Um, but how do you think that's going to play out when you get back? I mean, we've got a few, obviously you've had to reschedule a few things. So how are you looking? When's your next gig that you think, yeah, I don't think we're going to have to change the times on this. Um, that's, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, I think for all of, for all of our gig dates, um, check our website out. That's the best thing to do. I, I, I wouldn't want to sort of put a pin on any venue that's that's coming up that might change or might not change. Um, in regards to the venue sort of surviving and sort of coming out of this, it's going to be really, really hard. We, we were incredibly lucky um, a few months back when um, lockdown restrictions were eased and we managed to, to squeeze in, I believe it was maybe six, six shows something like that it wasn't many wow. that's quite um, that's impressive to be fair from who i've spoken to that's a lot more than most people managed yeah we're at really really lucky and i think part of that is because of um luck in a sense of where where these gigs landed at the time that the restrictions were were, were eased yeah um but also the fact that venues hopefully feel safer that we can pull a crowd so i think it from my discussions with certain venue owners Opening during those um, restrictions at the time uh, wasn't a case of making any money. It was mitigating loss. So not chucking beer down the toilet and stuff like that. Um, So they knew that opening the doors was going to be a way to sort of mitigate the loss on their earnings. So if they could get a band in or get an act in, that meant that they could get some bums on seats. That was a a win for them. So we were really, really lucky and we managed to, to sell out all the shows that we had during that period. Um, of course, restrictions were in place. Everyone followed the guidelines. Um, I think the capacity was reduced um, to half, I think, the majority of the venues. I yeah. can't exactly, but, but yeah, we were incredibly lucky. Um, but hopefully um, these venues have been receiving help from governments where needed just so we can all get back to it. Really. I think I'm, I was going to say, like, without damning with the faintest of praise, I, I would imagine that for you know somebody that because I work in the trade as well, but to book somebody like yourselves, you you're a safe pair of hands that you know that you're going to be as much as whatever the capacity has been reduced to, you would have filled yeah. it normally, let alone with half. So you're not going to be taking a chance on somebody that you think, oh god, well, I wonder how many they're going to bring with them, or are people going to be a bit put off because. The restrictions are there. They don't want to necessarily. So they knew with you guys that you get the crowd there anyway. Absolutely, I think that that's that's that goes quite a long way, really. Um, I've I've done the the whole play um, original material. I've been in other lineups and, and this, that, and the other. And the amount of times a venue has pulled the gig sort of the day before because of ticket sales. Um, it's it's an awful thing for a musician because you, you you plan and prep and practice and all the rest of it. And yeah. the day before the gig, when you can't book anything else in, they'll pull the date from you. With Fred Zeppelin, I think they sort of, they give us a little bit more leeway. Um, and yeah. they, they sort of say, well, you know, um, 
Fred Zeppelin predominantly don't sell tickets up front, but we sell them on the door, you know. Um, so we're, we're trying to find a way at the moment. Um, obviously, this was before lockdown. To think of ways to incentivize pre-sale tickets, uh, whether that be some form of um, winning a free ticket for their next gig or whether it be getting a T-shirt or some, something along those lines. Just to make sure that venues felt safer in that sense. But with the Freds, we've been really lucky because I think venues do know that uh, there will be a crowd regardless, especially the newer venues as well. We've, we've got some newer, newer venues that we've played um, and they've said, you know, ticket sales are good, but we could do with a few more. And we've said, well, we normally get a walk up. And that's that's really our bag, really. So. Yeah, like it'll be all right on the night, but you've actually yeah. got the sort of the track record to be able to say that. Whereas I suppose Absolutely. most most it can be a bit sort of hit and miss. But it's a good thing to say that though, that to say that there are newer venues that you you know that you've got round to. It shows that there is something of an expansion in the scene. If not, you know that might maybe counteract some of the losses that might come from it. Um, yeah, but I suppose must be a bit of a, it's a weird thing to ask in lockdown because you're going to be missing it that much it's going to change things but you still in still enjoy it and it, it sounds like it's something that you'd have to say yes to but you know what i mean <laughs> I, d- I don't have to say yes no i i can be incredibly honest um i i don't think i could live without it it's one of those things where um for me personally music is such a big part of my life um that if i wasn't doing it as a job I would be doing it for free. Um, but I'm in an incredibly fortunate position where I, I get to make a living from this. Um, when I play most of the gigs, it's usually a sense of clocking in, painting by numbers and this, that, and the other. Fred Zeppelin is a very rare occasion for a musician to sort of turn up, not only enjoy the gig, but like really, really desperately want to go back and do it again. Um, like I say, we play some awesome venues, some absolutely fantastic places that we can't wait to get back to. Um, and then also the newer venues that we've not played before, we, we, we are so looking forward to getting our sounds happening in there as well. I'm yeah, trying to get your foot in the door and be somewhere different, I suppose, than, you know, but I suppose maybe that's, maybe that's the balance. So rather than if that was the only outlet for you, it would kind of feel like clocking in, get the job done and go home. But because yeah. you've got that element elsewhere, it makes um, sort of the Fred Zepp stuff a bit more of a, ah, oh, great, I get to be a bit more me now. I get to explore Absolutely. a little bit more. Which is yeah. weird, because I would have thought that that would have been before we had this conversation. Because um, one of my questions was, sort of, do you have this pining urge where you're on stage and you think, oh, could I write my own stuff? Do I want to write my own? Do I want to play my own stuff? Do you have that still going through? Or is it more that that is your release? Of course, yeah. So um, I think all musicians are affected by this, where it's the reason we play music, or at least for myself, is a, is a, a creative outlet. Um, so of course, there are this stuff that I've got written, stuff I've recorded, things in the pipeline, all this, that and the other. Um, being a working musician means that I have to prioritise the bits that puts food on the table, basically. Um, yeah. So like my creative stuff is wonderful and it's, it's fun. I can have a little giggle with it and pick it up and put it down as I, as I see fit. Um, but the beauty of something like Fred Zeppelin is, is that of course we go out and, you know, you, you get a couple of quid for a show here and there, but it is that sort of creative outlet as well. Um, 
there are no two shows the same, although we play Led Zeppelin, um, the moments between the Led Zeppelin bits are always different and they're always fun. And um, we just hope people that see it have fun with it as well. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely an outlet for us. Definitely. So it's, um, so, I mean, would there be, would there be somewhere say a little bit down the line where you think, no, this is, you know, I'm going to write something now and I'm going to go and maybe sort of tour that or, would you would you factor that in in and amongst the rest of the you know it's the a, gigs? It, it's a possibility. Um, I, there's there's no plans as of yet to to put my own stuff out there in, in a big way. Um, I'm very much the shy retiring person. Believe it or not, somebody who spends his job <laughs> on stage. Um, I, I I I don't uh, seek out the limelight. Um, I'm very much nice quiet keep myself to myself these days um fred zeppelin doesn't allow that really. <laughs> really so i guess it sort of lets that side of me out as well um but yeah i think i find that um i'm i'm more interested in the zeppelin like of all the of all the ventures that i go into it's so close to my heart that i put all my efforts into that really so yeah, and what, not, what not about the other yet. side of it? I mean, obviously you do the, the the session, but what about sort of the other side of the window? So you're in the booth more. Is that is that side of it sort of ever taken an interest? Uh, the recording side? Yeah, like the recording or producing or, you know, having a little bit more of a, a play that side of it. Yeah, so um, I, I did uh, a, um, a year's recording at uni, um, which is fun. Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a technophobe when it comes down to it, so computers and technology sort of escape me really. Um, so I do enjoy going to the studio and um, recording bits and bobs here and there. Um, I've just got back today from a recording session, which has been uh, fantastic during lockdown. Um, there's been a, a couple of occasions where I've been able to go in and um, record videos for grade books, which has been fun. Um, and then obviously today's the, uh, been a, a creative venture. It's been all like new yeah. material. So it's just a case of uh, the chap I've been working with has been absolutely fantastic in the sense of I've asked him, well, what do you want? What do you want me to record? What do you want me to play? And he's just gone, just play what you feel. And that's just a, such a, a wonderful thing to hear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like to the there you go. You can do what you want. Yeah, absolutely. He sort of gives you a bit of a remit, like uh, make this sound like Iggy Pop or something. And then you sort of go in and, and bash out some stooges or whatever it is. And yeah, so it, it's good, man. Yeah, the recording stuff's really, really fun. Um, I do I do more of it. Um, I've, I've done more of it over the last few years, actually, um, since working with uh, RML in Wolverhampton. Okay, yeah. And they've branched off to a company called Inclusic, which do a lot of teaching and things as well. So I'm, I'm doing an awful lot of that over that side of the world at the moment, uh, which is fantastic as well. And obviously... Um, I can sort of plug the band in lessons as well, which is quite nice. That's it. I suppose that that's a good way of filling the gap as well, because we're all with everybody being trapped at home. I suppose the sort of you know Zoom lessons and that sort of thing. It's everybody's a captive audience. You know, everybody's crying out for something that they can do. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, with my uh, private students, that I have um, it's been really good because normally I lose time travelling between students, so to have them all in one place and sort of sitting in in the bedroom although it, it needs to be decorated all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> it's nice just to sit sit and chill and and you know everything's here i've got a cup of tea life's good 
I was going to say, that's the thing. Like, you don't, all of a sudden, oh, God, I could really do something to eat and drink. And you're like, oh, I'm right there. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'll be right back. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, obviously, that's, that's pretty much where I got to. Um, so, yeah, I think we were looking, I did have a little look, I'm not going to lie, about the nearest gig that you've got coming up, which Ooh. looks to be, I know, September, there's one earlier than that, definitely. So I think it was June, I think, was the next gig that you might have. Um, Sounds like it could be, yeah. Yeah, you would have thought I would have been a lot more prepared. There you go. So I think it's Friday the 18th of June. Um, we've got you in Stourport at the Workman's Club. So I think that's the earliest one. Um, I'll pull that back up now. There we go. So yeah, about 17 messages have appeared in the background in between what I've found. It's really helpful when that happens. Um, yeah. So yeah, so obviously, hopefully, we'll get the chance to... Um, and everybody else listening will get the chance to come and check you out live, which is much more what we all want to do now. I think everybody's waiting for, now that we've got some tentative dates and we know maybe where we're at, um, we're hopefully coming out of this scenario, which would be great. Um, yes. But yeah, other than that, unless you've got something else you just wanted to add? Yeah, just in, in regards to the gigs, just um, make sure you check the website for updates. Um, Black is really, really good and really hot at keeping that as up to date as possible. And before you venture out, do make sure you give the venue a call um, before there's any wasted journeys. Uh, obviously, with COVID restrictions, we don't know what's going to happen next. We're we're, um, we're rescheduling as and when we can. Uh, but yeah, hopefully the next one's going to be in uh, after restrictions get lifted. So. That's it. Well, yeah, I mean, like, touch wood, obviously, we don't end up in a situation where we all have to get it scaled back again. But touch wood, hopefully, the stuff that's up there should be valid. But yeah, so that's brilliant. So, um. Thank you very much. It's been a like massively informative, a few different bits than I expected it to be. But thank you so much for your time, mate. Cheers. Thank you. No problem at all. Cheers, my man. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Bye-bye. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Elliot is actually a guitar teacher as well, and you can find him on Facebook at Elliot Gavin, professional musician guitarist. He works in and around the Birmingham area, so if you're local to Birmingham, please message him if you are after some lessons or looking to improve your guitar work and skills or try it for the first time. And yeah, be sure to check out his tribute band if that's if you're into Led Zeppelin and a big fan. Seeing Fred Zeppelin live, I'm sure would be a breath of fresh air to fans of that genre when the music starts up again thank you so much for elliot for coming on hit him up for a guitar lesson go check out his band and support him in what he does he's a great great person take care everybody and thanks again for listening peace